0: Hey, Kareem Sirajuddin here, founder of Nude Human Consulting. The Coffee with Kareem podcast aims to provide Muslims and people of all backgrounds a space to share their life gifts, meet dynamic guests, and enhance the human experience one cup of coffee at a time. Sit back and sip. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. Today I have a wonderful guest, Dr. Marwa Asar. She is a psychologist, educator, and writer dedicated to providing spiritual, mental, and emotional empowerment through psycho-spiritual education that is rooted in Islamic teachings. Dr. Marwa, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, Sister Marwa, I was very excited to have you on the show today because we had this um, collaboration a couple years back for Muslim Wellness Foundation. There was a live webinar where you, myself, and I believe uh, another uh, brother named Ibrahim, um, we talked about Islamic psychology and uh, started to share our own ideas about this and how it could actually look in, in, in counseling and helping our brothers and sisters. So I was very excited to see you um, be a part of this, and you gave a wonderful presentation that day.
1: First of all, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And um, I, uh, I do remember that collaboration. It's, uh, it's great to see other people who are in the field and trying to merge these two worlds together, Islam and Psychology.
0: Would you like to start off, Marwa, by telling us a bit more about you? Um, where'd you grow up? And uh, was your family always religious? Or was it something that you uh, embodied from a young age or, or later in life?
1: Um, as for me, I um, I was raised in New Jersey. And yeah, my family, uh, you know, did raise me on the, on the faith, you know, they did teach me the faith. And uh, they would take me to classes here and there. And um but as I got older, you know, I had to kind of navigate it, you know, for myself in terms of like where I stood with, with the faith and um how I individually felt about it, you know, and um and I I loved Islam growing up. I really did. Um Alhamdulillah, that was a blessing that uh God gave me. I, I just felt that I, I loved uh learning about it. But um but I didn't, you know, in high school it was kind of a challenge for me a little bit. Um, you know, I I struggled with hijab and um, you know, but it was after it was during like the last year of high school and that summer after that I really like took ownership of my own faith and said you know like I want to you know define it for myself and I remember I, I studied um, you know I remember like exploring other other faiths as well and I remember starting to divulge deeper into Islam and what it asked of me and what God wanted from me and. That was the summer, the summer after high school is really when I just committed to it on my own and started practicing like from, from just, I knew it was 100% me wanting to and that's when I put on
0: hijab. Wow, mashallah. I'd love to pick your brain a bit more about hijab if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, sure, no problem. So this sounds like it was one of the uh, milestones or kind of shifts in your faith and and making it your own, as you said, or taking ownership. And, um, you know, hijab is always a topic of, you know, interest for many Muslims. And I think nowadays, I'm sure you're aware there's a lot of different opinions and perspectives about it. And uh, I'm wondering why you think or feel or believe that wearing the hijab is a step forward, perhaps, in your spiritual maturity. Can you tell us more about how you came to that conclusion and, and how you felt since you wore it?
1: It definitely did feel like a huge step forward um, in my spiritual path because, you know, I think when you, when you put on hijab, you're, you're, you're not just making one decision. You're making a bunch of decisions at the same time. Um, first one is I'm putting God before everyone else. Right. It's I am, you know, I am going to, you know, obey God's command. Right. But then it's also, you know, I'm going to prioritize what he wants from me over everyone else. I'm going to disconnect from what the creation wants me and put what the creator wants over everyone else. Um, I'm going to free myself from the pressures of everyone around and what they think I should do and put God before that, you know? So it's, 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 it's a, it's a liberating, it it was a liberating experience for me because especially when you're coming out of high school and, you know, you have to deal with all these pressures. And I remember like I was really on and off with the hijab throughout high school because it was, it was hard for me to, um, to wear it. And there wasn't a lot of Muslims in my community and, um, but so like that decision for me was, uh, a a, a a freeing of myself from all of these pressures, you know, and it's, it was a liberating experience. And I, I look back and I always say this, uh, that time was probably one of the most beautiful times of my life because, um, I just felt like I disconnected from the opinions of all those who were not constant, right? Because people's opinions go up and down. And I connected to someone so stable, you know, and so constant. And his opinion of me is the most important. And I felt like there was a ground firming, a firm ground under me, you know, like um, where you can just walk firmly on this earth and be confident and know that your your security and confidence and value is 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 through the lens of someone far greater than anyone else. And it just so I could sit here and say, okay, well, God said do it, and I did, right? But I think that um, there's so much more to it than that, you know, And I, I, as with everything that Allah commands us to do. Yeah.
0: Now, I mean, there are some sisters out there that might think or hear this and go, well, does that mean I'm not going to achieve, you know, a higher spiritual maturity unless I wear the hijab? What are your thoughts about that opinion? Because there are people that don't believe you have to necessarily wear the veil, to um, To achieve a higher state of spirituality. Now, how much of this, you know, concept of hijab for you is about just the exterior versus the interior, and maybe you can address that uh, perspective of why you think it was an integral part of your growth spiritually. So
1: I do understand that. I do understand that there's many different um, views on hijab, and um, you know, the way I look at anything that Allah commands us to do, or any any aspect of our faith, is that they're all means to growing closer to God, right? So like, you know, you know hijab is a means, right? Um, salah is a means, prayer is a means, um, giving charity is a means, right? And many of us are not perfect in, in all of them, right? And I always tell people like, you know, like, do not compare because there are people who wear hijab but are not doing you know, other things. And there are people who are, you know, maybe praying and wearing, uh, not praying and wearing hijab, you know? And so it's yeah. it's very easy to get stuck on these exterior, like what, what seems to be exterior identifications of what religiousness means, right? And, mm,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know, this is actually some of the things that I try to tackle is that, you know, these, um, we've attached ourselves as a community to these exterior definitions of what religiousness is, Right. And and you know and some of us who 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 have that exterior identifications right and those markers have have deceived ourselves to think well we're there you know and um, right. and so it's really important to 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 like to tackle those things because there are people in the community who have who are striving towards God but don't have those exterior markers right and and only god knows where they stand and w- compared to those other people who have the exterior markers so for me like these these things are really about what they're doing for us internally more than anything you know you know somebody might be giving a lot of charity and not wearing hijab you know only god will will judge that person at the end you know and i i look at everything as okay god set out all these things for us to do and they're all pathways to him. And we're, we're all supposed to be striving towards, you know, achieving those pathways. But the most important thing is what they're doing to us internally. You know, like they say, um, I think there's a saying that says, um, a sin that humbles you is better than a deed that makes you arrogant, right? Yeah.
0: Um, no.
1: At the same time, that's not to minimize them as acts of faith, right? So one of the things that I'm seeing, I'm seeing that's happening in our community is that to, to address those who feel Um, who feel inadequate spiritually because other people are saying, well, you're not wearing hijab or you're not praying or you're not this, right? Or you don't have these exterior markers. I feel that what's happening now is is to address that side. We have to almost minimize these acts of worship as acts of faith, right? Like we have to almost disconnect between them and faith um i don't know like for example like we have to say well maybe like hijab is not really an act of faith or maybe you know what i mean like um it's
0: cultural or whatever it's
1: cultural or whatever yeah exactly so like so i'm i really think we need to hone in on balance here you know Um, and i think this is this is the 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 you know the best way to reach more people right Um, and and to actually, like, to to explain Islam for what it is, you know. Right. We shouldn't compare people and try to fit them in this box of what is religious, right, quote-unquote, right? Um, but at the same time, we shouldn't minimize things that God has said are, you know, our acts of worship, you know. So I, I really—these um, are the things that I try to tackle because there's a psychology behind this. There's a psychology behind the way we view religion and the way that we approach religion and the way that we, um, you know— Practice it and and expect other people to fit into it. You know, there's so many walks of life, right. so many people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different, you know, psychologies, right? And and everyone brings that to the way that they approach faith. And we need to be conscious of that, you know, because Islam is collective and it's inclusive and it incorporates all walks of life. And what we do is we create a very, uh, um, you know, rigid box and label it Islam and say, well, oh, you don't fit in here. Well, that's not Islamic. And that's a man-made box. That's not a God-made box.
0: I'm really, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is certainly something that I also have observed and, and, you know, tend to address quite frequently, this idea of, you know, overemphasis on external acts without internal reality. And I think that sometimes in some Muslim communities, there's this emphasis of appearing religious more than actually being religious and mm-hmm. uh and then we get these kind of superficial arguments or deconstructions of oh well this hijabi i know she also does this and it's unislamic so it doesn't matter if you wear hijab and then there's people that don't wear hijab and it's like well they're they have much better character than people that do and so there's always these back and forths of you know external checkpoints versus what's actually being done and i mean obviously the ideal situation is that your external and interior are aligned Right and reflecting the divine pattern that His messenger brought um, but i also like how you you know h- highlighted here that there is unfortunately this idea of an islamic packaging you know this cookie cutter idea and if you don't fit into this then you know you're questionable and this and that and i think as, as someone who understands psychology of course there's a psychology of religion i mean imagine if somebody was beaten constantly by their mom who also wore hijab and there's association for instance with this you know religious symbol with abuse obviously that person is not going to find wearing hijab as easily as someone who never experienced that right so i mean there's so much layers to people's experiences. And I think that's a really important highlight that you shared here that we can't just jump to these conclusions based on artificial external packaging. Yet at the same time, I heard you say, we can't also change the narrative of what has been clearly established in the deen.
1: Exactly, absolutely. And I, this is what I really love about being in this you know, field and trying to navigate Islam and psychology is that I'm taking into account the psychology of a person but also how it plays a role in them practicing something that they deem the most important thing in their life you know and you know their and how that affects the, their relationship with god and their relationship with others it's very easy like you know to look at someone and say well oh they're not doing those things but like you said there's so many the mind is like you know a network you know of associations that are constantly being made and and um and these things impact the person significantly and the beautiful thing about providing therapy is that you can help a person, you know, um, unpackage that all, you know, and lay it all out and, and as if they're little puzzle pieces, you know, and then try to help try to help them facilitate a process where they can put these puzzle pieces together and figure out what is from the dean and what is from their experiences and differentiating them. But many of us are walking around with all those things meshed up into one and we're not, we don't even know the difference.
0: Right. And I think also this um, unhealthy, sometimes focus on quantification of deeds, there is this idea of like, you know, faith is this finish line. Like, oh, now mashallah, you know, now that I've got all my Islamic garb down and I'm I'm practicing all the rituals and I'm, you know, following as much of these sacred rules as I can. And now sometimes those people feel almost self-entitled to pick at other people about stuff right like oh why are you wearing nail polish sister your prayer isn't accepted or something it's like really i mean you've you've mashallah done everything in your path with allah that now you can fixate on whether or not you know uh, the sister next to you wears nail polish or plucks her eyebrows or whatever i mean it's just so interesting how different arguments can can unfold because of the psychology of religion itself sometimes is built on these immature and imbalanced constructs to begin with. Would you say you agree with that and, or, or would you like to challenge that?
1: No, I, I definitely, these are the things that I really um, reflect on a lot and, you know, um, and these are things I actually are, are very, like are of great interest to me because what I'm coming to the conclusion, um, what the, the conclusion I'm coming to is that I think that what happens is there's a there's a phenomena that happens when someone becomes religious, right um, And what I find happens for people who say have like um, have this perfectionist idea of what Islam should be, um, I think sometimes, maybe not all the time, but I think it goes back to them never having a connection to themselves to begin with. Mm. and so what i think and this is something i'm developing further but i can i guess share some ideas that i'm having about this with you is that you know what i find is so if you don't have say like from your upbringing right or even culturally because our culture you know especially middle eastern culture or a lot of eastern cultures don't really foster that sense of um you know self-love or connecting to yourself right it's more about the collective right? right right um so what I think happens is, people and then if you add on top of that trauma, <laughs> um, you know, em- emotional struggles, all of these things, experiences in life. So people disconnect from themselves, right? And then and then they find this perfect entity, such as Islam, right? This perfect modality, and they say, and instead of saying, I want to strive to practice that. I think what people subconsciously say is, I want to be that,
0: <laughs> mm. right? And, and so, what's the difference? What's the difference there? That's an important nuance. It,
1: there's a huge difference because you cannot be something perfect, right? Mm. Like you cannot be Islam, you know? And
0: right. one of the things, And Islam's I'm, not a person either. Islam is so not he, a person. <laughs> I'm, actually,
1: I'm actually working on, um, I'm actually finishing an article right now and I'll, I'll send it to you when it's done. It's called, My Name is Not Islam. Okay. I love
0: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, the reason why I'm writing is because, you know, when you approach Islam as it's something that you become, that it's like, I, I remember Sheikh Walid Musad said, Islam is not a brand that you need to manage. You know, it's like, it's almost like people find this perfect thing and they feel so imperfect inside. They feel so disconnected inside. They feel like they don't know who they are inside. And then they find this thing and they connect to it. And that and they, and they feel safe in that becoming their entire identity. And, and here's the thing. If you, if you are approaching Islam and you practice it and, that, and you embody those things and that becomes part of your identity, that's okay, right? But if you are broken inside and you feel so disconnected and you feel um, in, there's all these psychological things going on and you take Islam as if it is this something that you have to become... There is a lot of harm in that because you're walking around as perfection. And you you have deceived yourself to think that you are now perfect. And it's a huge illusion. It's a huge deception. And it's something that's going to fall apart, you know, because it's not real. And any false destination falls apart, you know. And I think that's what's happening in our community. I think that's what's happening is that, you know, um, people feel safe in these rigid boxes that they have established that allow them to feel emotionally safe and and then when they see anything that's different than that perfect box they built it's not see this is why people freak out when they see somebody who's like different than them islamically right is because they've built this emo this this box where they've labeled islam and they've become it and that and any crack in that box is not just um an attack on like Islam, it's an attack on their emotional and mental well being. Because they've that's where they feel secure. That's where they feel safe. And that's why people are not able to engage in open conversations because you know, any any attack on Islam is like an attack on, on them.
0: Right. It threatens the ego that has been constructed around this perfect cookie cutter personification or anthropomorphous Islam. Exactly. Yeah, so I mean, this is, uh, you know, something I've certainly observed as well, this idea that like Islam is not a person, you know, people always ask me, "Well, what does Islam say? Am I going against Islam? I said, well, let's call him up and ask him. Yeah. You know? exactly. But it's but it but he doesn't exist in that sense. There's no there's no person, right, or personification. But I think it's it's just a very interesting point that you're making. And also what came up for me when you were sharing this is it's almost like, you know, when somebody is broken or doesn't have self love or feels complete, you know, within themselves. I mean, obviously it's a lifelong journey, but I'm talking about just at least your core seems cohesive and you love yourself and you're clear about your gifts and your growth areas you know this self-awareness people that sometimes don't have this they tend to also crave or desire let's say getting married because somehow once i get married i'll feel complete right or all my problems will go away I'll, i'll once i feel loved you know i'll be able to um experience a sense of a uh, of value and we know that this is not a a healthy state or mentality to go into any lifelong partnership with but sometimes it almost gets projected or displaced with the relationship to this personification of islam like oh well i'm broken inside i don't know what to do with all this and so we just assume if i just you know uh try to become really religious or perfect in my muslimness that somehow this is going to give me all that assurance but the reality is you're not developing um, assurance of your own choices you're not trusting in your heart and your gut you're actually just taking a system which is very nice and packaged and polished as far as ideas values you know worldview ethos and then we just take that label on and we're like, this is me now. Exactly. But it's not, you know, I always say like there's no factory out there that's like producing all these perfect cookie cutter Muslims. Like, and, and they're all just walking around acting and thinking and walking, you know, looking the same, which I think is one of the um, points you made earlier. Right. Is like if I see a Muslim who, oh, my God, they might play guitar or they might, you know, um have a different opinion in fiqh or even theologically about something that isn't uh, f- from the basics. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're not really a Muslim, right? Or you're an innovator, or you're not part of this group. It's extreme reaction, right? And so, and this is actually pretty common with with extremists. You know, is that they tend to have fragmented psyches, and why they become uh, fundamentalists and extremists is because they take on an ideology that helps with uh, this sense of inner disparity and this is also what leads to this the cult mentality right Um, why people join cults because it gives them this sense of meaning and purpose and value and groupthink and validation that they can't find through themselves and through the relationship to the divine so they join these types of groups which is like here here are all the answers right and a lot of people by the way are uncomfortable with the mystery of life and the and and knowing that you're just not always going to know and some people don't like that they're like no islam has all the answers and all i have to do is memorize it and then basically i'll be perfected so to speak so it sounds like this is also what you're um referring to here
1: yeah and i think you um covered A a serious reason why people don't go to therapy Is that this whole idea of Well Islam has Islam is going to like fix me right Like just the whole comparison to like marriage is going to fix me Um, You know I always say uh, Allah heals right People say like Islam heals It's Allah that heals, (laughs) God heals
0: Right, Right. Islam is an instrument
1: Islam is an instrument, Islam is the means But you don't, so and, And there are many means that God has put on this earth For us to heal right So it's like you take medicine to heal. Right. And so when it comes to, I notice um, when it comes to, it's a, to like emotional struggles and psychological struggles, people will not go to therapy because they say, well, if, you know, I have a you know, that's, you know, and then, and that's a, that's a really destructive, um, you know, viewpoint because it will keep somebody in cycles of pain because, you know, they're afraid to go outside of that box. It's literally a fear of going outside of the box that they constructed themselves.
0: (laughs) Right. And what most people don't realize, uh, Marwa, is that, you know, it doesn't take away from Islam by saying, I might need therapy or I might need counseling or I have to go see a doctor. I mean, it doesn't take away from the merit and the power of Islam. And I think this also goes back to this idea of, you know, the famous slogan, Islam is a way of life, right? Um, and, I, and I've always had kind of an issue with that statement, not because I don't think Islam doesn't have guiding principles um, for life, but that, come on, it doesn't, have it doesn't include everything Mm -hmm. it's basically a guidance right Right. for those who are god conscious and what that means is people who are god conscious are also going to seek the means and build bridges and understand science and how to actually um heal and, and solve the problems of society internally and externally right and and that is my understanding at least of you know islam being a way of life is that it guides you to be the best and the most excellent that you can be in all the departments of life but it's not the same thing as saying you know islam has all the answers so to say because as you said earlier I mean, what we call the Islamic tradition today, we're talking about 1,400 years of scholarship and interpretive efforts by men and women. That's not the same thing as what Allah and his messenger brought. That's the um, effects of what Allah and his messenger brought. And some people also get very uncomfortable with that idea that, hey, turns out what you call Islamic tradition today, it's actually the ideas and thoughts and uh, intentional interpretations of men and women. So it's actually human constructions of these divine principles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely these are issues that are coming up and ideas and, and questions that are coming up and are more prevalent today. And people, um, you know, are are questioning, well, what is actually from Islam and what's actually the interpretation of, of mankind, right? And so, um, you know, this is where, uh, you know, I think studying the deen extensively really, like, really helps. You know, not that everyone can do that, but, you know, I think seeking knowledge, um, we, we've also, like— Seeking knowledge is something that I think, you know, has to be a reaction to those questions and those challenges because they are coming up and they're very prevalent today. And I think that what we do, though, is that a lot of times we allow these challenges and these questions and these just to, we just sit with them, you know, and then we say, Islam has all the answers, but it's, it's God that has all the answers, like we said. And Islam is, 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 um, you know, is, is a created thing, right? So it's like, it's people are, are placing, are, are, um, are forgetting the source of Islam, you know, like it's almost like they stop at Islam and Islam came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, and I think that, you know, seeking knowledge in our time today is something that's, I feel is, is minimized, you know, because we're in a world of information, not knowledge. And one of my teachers actually said this, he said, you know, we're we're not in a world of knowledge anymore we're in a world of information everyone's receiving all this information knowledge is something that's that's actually something that you know is a result of information being applied right and um and i think what's happening nowadays is that all of these things are happening in the world and all of these questions are coming up and um uh, people are starting to question the boxes that have been created over the years, you know, and I think there's a lot of benefit to that because there's a lot of liberation in that. But I think there has to be a balance in the way that we approach um, breaking down these boxes, breaking down these, these these barriers. And that's, you can't just break something without enforcing it with something else, right? You can't just uh, find the problem without working towards a solution, and I think what's happening is a lot of us are identifying the problems. A lot of us are seeing the flaws. A lot of us are seeing how we constructed these rigid religious boxes. A lot of us are seeing, you know, um, you know, just these, uh, um, you know, uh, um, unhealthy um, uh, constructs that we have built when it comes to the to the faith. But then at the same time, we're not trying to see uh to value seeking knowledge in a way that would help us arrive at the answers, right? We're almost trusting our own our own minds. Okay, if I saw a flaw, that means it's wrong, right? Or if I think something's right, I mean it's wrong. It means it's wrong. And I think because we live in a world where we we almost worship our opinions and social media and all of these things, now opinions are almost like facts, you know? We we have we haven't really taken, we've identified the problems and we're great at like talking about them. But very few of us are actually taking the time to to actually do, you know, put the effort to seek the knowledge that would help us address these problems.
0: Right. No, I I totally uh, vibe with that. Certainly seeking knowledge is very different from just having information or reading some post and not actually taking it further. And um, I think that part of the anxiety is when we do see something that may be um, contrary to what we've always believed I think our duty out of out of humility and virtue is to go, well, wow, I need to read up on that or, or go look more into that. You know, why do I think this or, or why is this bothering me? I mean, that's usually a sign that our consciousness is, is yearning for, for discovery, so to speak.
1: No, absolutely. I think our, our reactions need to, to change to our confusion. You know, like um, we're, as a community, we're responding to commu- confusion in a very unhealthy way, I think. Um. And you know it's it's um, instead of like humbling our minds and taking it to God or taking it to uh, or seeking knowledge or doing what we need to do to address it we're just we're just like relying on our minds you know and saying well if I arrived at this conclusion it must be right and um, and this is this is common in a world where intelligence is almost worshipped you know the mind is worshipped and there is isn't— much respect for for the the heart and the role the heart plays in these things you know so um uh, yeah, there's definitely There's definitely something in that In the way that we approach um, Our confusion And there's a lot of confusion nowadays
0: <laughs> Yeah, for sure I mean Actually, I was just having The same discussion yesterday And uh, it was The the person was having trouble With evil in the world And how to reconcile that With belief in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, And they were losing their faith And they kept saying This isn't rational And if God made me With reasoning skills Then everything has to make sense to me In order for me to accept God And I'm like well, aren't you giving too much power to the mind or the reasoning skills that we have? And also assuming that your reasoning can help you have absolute knowledge. I mean, we don't even understand how human consciousness works fully. How are you now going to try to understand supreme consciousness when you don't even we don't even know ourselves? fully so that's one thing and then i also brought up this idea of in islamic psychology the organ of perception is also the heart right um why don't you tell talk to us a bit more about this and and what you mean by that and and how it's actually applicable in our daily lives and spirituality how is the heart something that we as muslims have to consider a vital part of our understanding and, and perception in your opinion
1: so actually, this is an approach that I developed to uh, psycho-spiritual education and healing, and it's called the heart over mind and ego approach. Um, and the reason I developed this, and I I touch base a little bit at that in the in the conference that me and you did together back with Muslim Wellness Foundation, I touch base on the heart being the king, right? Um, and the reason why I, you know, this is something that I feel just Um, I've learned through not only my own personal journey, but also through my professional experience. You know, I think there in our society in West, you know, through Western thought and through uh, just our ideas here in the West is that the mind is the know it all, right? It's the, it's the leader of our being, it's the king of our being. And if you know something, it's true, right? And if you, um, if you have arrived at a thought, it must be real, right? And so, or if, something is measurable it's physical it's rational it has a much higher value than anything that that can come from the heart right and this is something that's promoted in our society um you'll even see pictures of like um where the the heart will have like a band-aid on it right and the brain will say i told you so like those little cartoons right so we as a society have diminished the role of the heart but i'm but as I was studying like Islam while doing my studies in psychology, and then and then uh, later on, I was I did my doctoral research in Islamic psychology. Um, you know, so seeing those two worlds come together, one of the things I, I throughout my my studies, I was always going back and saying, okay, if I studied something in psychology, go back to Islam and see how how God would teach it in the Quran, right, or teach it in in our faith. And what I noticed is like in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa taala when he talks about intellect or understanding it's not always in reference to the mind right a lot of times he'll say do they not have hearts that understand um and there are many other verses that equate the heart with understanding the heart with cognition the heart with um intellect right so um there there is this uh facet within us that has been extremely dismissed and neglected you know and minimized be- as to so that we can give more power to the mind right but in the quran allah when he talks about intellect he talks about it sometimes with the mind and sometimes with the heart you know so allah gave us two different kinds of intellect and i believe they work differently you know um but the reason i say the heart is king is well number one when we go back uh to to god you know um it's it's a sound heart that we're supposed to be bringing back, not a sound mind, right? And so that in it's that right there tells me that the most important thing, the most the most valuable thing, the most the thing that I have to give the highest priority to within my being is the heart, and um, and then also the hadith uh, where the Rasulullah says, you know, there's a um, that if the heart is sound, the whole body is sound and everything else is sound. I, I don't know word for word the hadith, but basically the emphasis, again, is on the heart. And if the heart is sound, everything else is sound, right? Um, but there's many, many different examples. Um, and I, this is a whole, like, uh, um, you know, uh, it could be a whole different discussion. It'll take a, a while for me to explain. But um, the point is, is that I just started to realize that, like, people— struggle when they put this burden on their mind that Allah did not ask them to you know and um you know it's it's recognizing that we as human beings have an inner psycho spiritual system is really valuable you know when we study like when we look at um we look at anything in the world they're all systems right we look at the solar system we look at our even our in our body we have our digestive system our respiratory system right and when you look at these systems and when you study them, it's not enough to know the entities that exist in the system. It's not enough to know that in the solar system, there's planets and there's the sun, right? You have to know the orbit. It's not enough for you to know that, you know, in the digestive system, there's a stomach and there's a large intestine. It's not enough. You have to know the flow because if it's not, the, if the flow is off, there isn't harmony, there isn't stability. And you have to know what is the center organ in that system, Right. So, you know, if you look at the solar system, we know that the planets revolve around the sun, right? And that is because the sun has the strongest gravitational pull. And if the planets revolved around anything else, there would be chaos because there wouldn't be anything to sustain, to have a strong enough gravitational pull to sustain that flow, right? And, you know, so in every system, there's the entities, there's the flow, and there's the the, the center, the leader, the king of that system, right? And... Within our psycho spiritual system there is uh, there there are entities and but there's there has to be a leader, right? Because then there's there there would be chaos, right? And if we give it give power to the wrong leader, there's also going to be chaos because it's not going to be able to sustain the flow. And so, you know, studying Islam and psychology has just allowed me to come to the conclusion that like, you know, the heart was meant to be the king, okay? Always. The heart was meant to be the king everything else in that system is some, is there to serve this most noble part of us. And what we have done is we have made the mind the king, and we have made the heart the servant, right? The heart is just tagging along. And this is really destructive. Or worse, we have made the ego the king, and then the heart and the mind are tagging along. And so it's you know, making the heart the king means that I am conscious of what I'm absorbing through my mind because I want to serve this most noble part of me, um, making sure that my ego is in check because my most noble, the most noble part of me needs to thrive. It's it's a completely, sh- it's a complete shift of how you view your inner self, your inner being. And this goes back to a lot of the, um, you know, taskiyah and tassawuf, um, um practices like muraqaba, being watchful, uh, Watchfulness, and being aware that God is watching you and 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 all the inner uh, shifts that are happening within you, it's 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 almost like mindfulness on a whole different level, you know, uh, taking into account God and and hi, and Him being present with what's going on inside of you. And this uh, this is a, a this this um this promotes uh you know a connection to ourselves, you know, a, a sitting, a being present with ourselves and what's happening internally. And many of us are disconnected from ourselves. So um, this is actually the the approach that I'm I'm developing currently and, and writing about. Um.
0: Very exciting. Now I, I I'm I'm really happy you, you shared that and I wanted to ask you. Okay, but there's probably some people who are like, well, what are these guys talking about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is is there is there an example or two that maybe you've observed you know personally or or with others that you're like, okay, here's an example of how the heart works and how the mind works and how they may give us different uh information or or knowledge so to speak
1: i'll give a a sign of why i I think the heart is king and then i'll give an example um you know in we know in sujud right um sujud is we know is the closest position we are to our creator right and what we're putting to the forehead is this most frontal part of our mind right and we know in psychology that's called the prefrontal cortex right and we know that that's the part that's um that's responsible for high decision making for abstract thinking for all the high executive functioning skills right that differentiate us from animals right that make us the superior being right and and this part of our mind we put to the to the ground and we humble it to the ground and yet in that position of sujud the heart is above the mind right and so there's there's something there about humbling the mind so that your heart can rise you know like there's something i believe there's a sign in that in that in that in that closest position we are to our creator that god is showing us that this mind is not the king you know and yet it's the most noble position right um and the heart in that position is higher than the mind and so there you know an example i can give is that we go through experiences in life right where where they're they're hard to understand they're hard to understand. We don't know why they happened. Uh, we don't we don't know how to get figure them out. We don't know how to f- figure a solution. Th- I mean, figure out a solution. And so, when the mind is king, what we do is, you know, the mind is a is like a machine, right? It takes it only can work with the information that it has absorbed, right? Because that's what happens. It absorbs information through the senses, through the eyes, through sight, through hearing, through touch, right, through the five senses, and it absorbs this information. It processes it. It stores it. And when we go through experiences we go to our mind and we say get me a solution right you're the king get me a solution you, you have you have all the solutions get me a- get me an answer and the mind comes back the mind processes thinks you know checks everything comes back to us with nothing right
0: right sometimes even more anxiety and confusion
1: Well that well well I believe the anxiety the more anxiety and confusion comes from is now the ego right or the nefs is, Is not comfortable with that. The Nefs loves comfort. The ego loves comfort. So wait, no, that's not okay that it came back with nothing. Go again. Let's check it again. Right? So the mind goes back. You tell you think about it in different ways. And you 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 put this burden on your mind to think of it from all different angles, right? Because now you're not comfortable because your mind is king, your ego is not tamed, you know, your heart is lagging behind, so it can't help you right now, right? And so you're like putting this burden on your mind to to think again, think again, think again, and it just comes back to you with nothing. And now the anxiety is up because you're 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 just you're not comfortable. You're you never we never tamed our nafs to be okay in sitting in not knowing. We never tamed our nafs, and our heart is not strong enough to take the lead because we never made it the lead. You know, now in a situation where the heart is the lead, right? There's less anxiety, I believe, because the heart is connected to its source. Okay and the heart can step in and say okay well you don't know right and that's okay the heart can sit and be present with its creator the heart can be the heart can experience you know these it has the capacity to experience these different this different kind of understanding to see meaning in life from things that are not physical from things that are not measurable right it's the ability to say god is in control it's the ability to say it's okay that i don't know it's the ability to say, I can just sit here with not knowing. But this, this this only happens when the heart can be present. And the heart needs to be present in any of these practices, even mindfulness, right? Mindfulness or even the meditation practices. The challenge is, is to quiet and channel your thoughts so that your heart can be present in the moment, right? And one of their big, it takes them a long time to do that, especially when they've trained their mind to be the, the king for so long, right? And so this, this is just an example of, you know, what happens to us when we, you know, we struggle, why we struggle when our mind is king and that, you know, our heart was created for a great potential and we have minimized that potential and we have disconnected it from its source a lot of times. And that's where it gets its fuel and that's where it gets, you know, its ability to thrive. And, and this has to go back to our belief that Allah gave us this heart to connect to Him and to, to help us navigate our world, and to help us navigate our experiences. But we dismiss this most powerful tool that God gave us, and we make everything else, you know, give it a higher priority.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And one of the ways I've kind of liked to frame it is this idea that the heart is responsible for unicity and unifying things, um, and the mind or the brain is responsible for understanding duality and definitions and problem solving and these types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the two have to work together uh, and they feed off of each other, naturally. Um, And kind of an example that I always thought was so intriguing in the Quran is this idea of like, you know, when you have the prophets who performed miracles, there were still people who saw something like this, a miracle, and they still had the mental capacity To still deny it and say no that's that's not it right it was a hallucination or this is magic or you know it's something else i'm basically going to ignore what my brain just processed and from my humble understanding the quran is showing us that this is because their hearts are diseased or, or or dead right in other words it doesn't matter if the angels come down to your face and it's like hey this is this is the the real stuff if the mind um if the heart is diseased. The mind can see all that it sees and still not process it the way it's supposed to in this unified, central um, way that you're kind of describing. And I always, I always found that to be very profound, that you can have people who see miracles and can still have the capacity to say, no, I deny that, you know. Um, and, and perhaps this is uh, an example that, that kind of… Um, uh, builds off of what you're sharing here. What What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think I think you hit a very important point, which is you know even on the path of spiritual growth, right, or on the path of finding answers, you know, about the Dean or seeking knowledge or just on the path of any any growth that we're trying to achieve, right? If you are going, if you are disconnected from your entire being, meaning that if you are walking on this path with your mind being the the with your like using solely your mind, right? You're going to miss the answers when you see them. <laughs> You're going to miss the opportunities of growth when you see them because you are, you know, you need the heart to kind of derive these meanings from experiences, right? That that the mind cannot. They have two different types of intellect. And, and a lot of times people will like, will go on this path, for example, of seeking knowledge, but they're doing it solely from their mind, right? Because they believe like, it's just, it's, it's 100% all mind right now, all rational. And they miss out on the, a lot of the answers that they're seeking because they haven't connected to other parts of themselves, you know? And, um, and I think, so I think what you're saying is very valuable because, and, and the Quran highlights this, is that if we depend on our mind so much that we negate, you know, our, our, the condition of our hearts, we're actually going to go be blinded from the answers themselves, <laughs>
0: right totally now can you share with us a bit more about okay so if someone's hearing this and they're like all right this sounds good to me but how do i even awaken or activate my heart how what what from your knowledge are some of the techniques or ways that we can do this from um an islamic perspective or a psychological perspective
1: you know um i think if there's many different ways um but you know i think prayer is such a great opportunity and even what we do before prayer is such a great opportunity um because what happens is you know prayer is a time where you recognize how how much your mind is king or which which of your like what what of your um of your inner facets is the lead right and a lot of times when we go to prayer and say like we get distracted or whatever, um, we always attribute it to shaitan. We always attribute it to something external right away, right? And while I do believe shaitan plays a role, um, we have dismissed our personal responsibility and we have, because we're so disconnected from ourselves, we don't even realize what we're taking to pray. Are, is it is Are we taking solely our minds to pray? Are we taking solely our limbs? Are we taking our heart, you know, our egos? And so prayer is a great just like, you know, people take years, years to perfect meditation, right? And to perfect, you know, the ability to be to 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 be present in their hearts, right? In meditation. And we have underutilized prayer. We really have. And it's such a gift and such a blessing from God. Um, I mean, just the example I was giving to you Sujude, right? Sujude is Sujood, right? Sujood is I think, can be a healing practice just on its own because, because you're in this position, this most noble and the closest position. We know this, right, in in, in in Islam, that I think it's a hadith that this is the closest position we are to our creator, right? And and in this position, God is just aligning you. Your mind is humbled. Your heart is higher. You are you're like so close. You're so grounded, and you're it's it's such a it's such a powerful place to be, you know. And when you connect to that, like it, even in meditation, you're connected to your body, right? Your yoga or all these things, all these practices out there, you have to be connected to everything that's happening within you, your body, yeah. your heart, your Unification emotions.
0: Unification of the self.
1: Unification, exactly. And and prayer, like if in Sujood we just connect to the way our body is positioned. If we just connect to the fact that my mind, my mind that thinks it knows it all and, and's trying to figure everything out, if we just connect to the fact that it's touching the earth right now, that's touching the ground, it's, it's being, it's being rooted again, you know, and like, you know, and the fact that my heart is above my mind right now. And the fact that I'm in this position, like, you know, there's so many things that we can connect to just from that position that we're so disconnected from. And so I think prayer is a great way to start because in those moments you can recognize which, which of your inner psycho spiritual like facets are the lead when you're in prayer. Are you, is your mind, if you're, if your mind is always like, well, did I feel that recitation? How, um, you know, uh, like your mind is always trying to, to, to kind of control your heart, right? Like, or not control, but like, it has a higher it has a stronger voice right so like it'll be it'll be in prayer and it will be constantly thinking about what you're doing in prayer instead of just allowing your heart to just be present with god you i believe that our heart all our hearts allah has put already this like like inner spark right this spark might have different degrees in different people but i believe it's there for everyone, you know? And I believe it's like, you know, you know, a spark or like a, when you're trying to start a fire, there's like this initial spark and you have to harness it in order for it to grow stronger right? you have to kind of like hone it in and you have to kind of, I don't know, like fuel it more. Right. So it could, so that it could, it could be, it could grow. And so this is in us maybe on different levels, even if it's a speck, right? Like your heart still has something that responds to the one who made it right and what we do is when we go to prayer we allow our mind to speak for our heart we actually our mind is almost like this like you know like when you're in a gathering and there's this quiet person's trying to speak and there's this loud person that's always like interrupting and trying and this person's just trying to like be you know i always think of our mind is like that like just be quiet just be quiet for a second my heart (laughs) let let this poor little you know this heart within us know it knows what to do and i believe it does know what to do you know And, and um And so one of the the things that I would encourage and I and using like the heart over mind and ego approach, I tell, you know, I tell people to like, you know, just allow your heart to just be, you know, and this takes practice outside of prayer. It can't just begin the moment you say Allahu Akbar, you know, like it, it has to be something that you're practicing in your life and it has to be something that you're like, things that you're doing, for example, being able to sit in the stillness you know, not not being going to a quiet place or, or reflecting, going out into nature, sitting in quiet moments and being okay with that. Because what happens is when we're not okay in the stillness, when we're not okay being around in, in quiet like spaces, prayer becomes, when we go to pray, that becomes the first time we experience quietness. And so what happens is all of the noise comes, right? Because we're not used to that. Right. So I I tell people, I tell myself and others, you know, to to practice sitting in the stillness outside of prayer, so that when you go to prayer, it's not, it's not something new, and you have less work to do on quieting and channeling your thoughts, you know? But if you don't have that practice outside, if you're always around noise, if every time you get into the car, you, you have to blast some music, if every time you you have to go sit somewhere, you have to call a friend, you know, and you're not able to just sit with yourself and sit with God and have those quiet moments. Prayer is always going to be a challenge. You're really depriving yourself of knowing what it means to have a heart that prays, you know, you're going to experience a mind that prays, limbs that pray, but you're really depriving yourself of hearts that pray, of a heart that prays. And I think so it's a lot of things. It's being able to sit in the quietness in the stillness and, and being okay with yourself in those moments. And then when you go to pray, it's being able to say, No, my mind does not know better. You know, when the mind starts to say, Well, oh, did I say that recitation good? Or um did I, you know, I didn't I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not this whole concept of I'm not feeling it. You know, do feeling it. You know, you mm-hmm. know where I learned this concept of I'm not feeling it? I learned it from my own personal experience. And that's why I said like Coming to this heart over mind and ego approach, it's it's rooted in both professional but personal experiences for me. And I remember the first time I went to Umrah to do the you know the the it's the how do you translate this the small pilgrimage right? Um yeah, Uh, you know when I went to do Umrah like I I remember I was so in my mind right because this is such a grand experience right and you want to make sure you you feel what you're supposed to feel, right? Again, it's like it's like we've defined this box that says this is what spirituality and spiritual high looks like, right? And I better feel like that, <laughs> you know? Like I have to feel like that.
0: There's expectations and attachments to the feelings or the experience of of just going to Mecca or during prayer. And if it doesn't happen, then we start to question these definitions and the process itself. But it's really, it's really about going back to us.
1: Exactly. And, you know, and so I remember learning this firsthand through my own experience, because, um, you know, I, I remember going there and I, as we were walking, you know, to the Kaaba, I remember I was like, you know, everyone is like, you, everyone cries when they see the Kaaba, right? They, and and this is, these are things that are talked about. We talk a lot about the way we're supposed to feel in Ramadan and the way we're supposed to feel when we see the Kaaba and the way we're supposed to feel when we experience these emotional things, right? We're obsessed with this idea of what we're, what, what spirituality looks like emotionally. Right. And so I remember going and I remember like being so like, I, I like this is how I'm supposed to feel and being worried that I'm not going to like cry or have like a, an emotional reaction. And I was so in my mind that when I saw the cab, I did not cry, you know, and that, and that, and and in response to that, I was like so upset too. I was like, Oh great. You know?
0: Yeah. What does this say about me and my faith and all this? Exactly.
1: And when you see other people crying and you're like, man, I must be like, you know, so like, I just, I, I learned a lot from, that I, the first time I went to Omra, I went with my mind, you know, and this was the beginning of me really developing these, these concepts and understanding this. And I had my own experience to kind of relate to it, you know? Um, and once I, once I allowed myself to self to quiet and like allow my heart to just really like take the lead, um, I, 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 I stopped letting my mind criticize my heart's experience, you know? And, just let it be, go with the flow. And just, you know, and the second time I went to Omra, it was a completely different experience for me. You know,
0: I I really appreciate that sharing and especially of the, the personal personal anecdote here. So what I'm hearing you say is the heart has a voice. And sometimes that voice is silenced or is never heard because of the constant mental egoic chattering that many of us have and that's you know fine it's not doesn't make you a bad person but that's a reality that i think a lot of people can relate to it's like my mind can't turn off it's always talking for many people when they start to pray they're still thinking about all the external stuff like oh i have to pick up my kids i still have to do the laundry and this and that and then before you know it you know you finish prayer and you didn't even think about god or yourself in existence um, and so there's like, there's a, there's a point of almost getting from outside to just getting in your body. And then once you get in your body, there's still the journey of constantly thinking about what you're doing in the prayer rather than just being present as you're describing. Um, and, uh, kind of what came up for me is a nice, uh, analogy here. It's almost like the mind is like this flashlight. It gives you awareness about certain, um, patterns or, um, uh, constructs of, of, of how we assemble the world, but yet the heart almost offers like a type of flame, you know, building off of this spark idea that you're sharing. Right. And it's like, the more we allow that spark to have some oxygen, right. And, 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 uh, the right, uh, elements, it's going to become a candle. And then that candle can become a a, a greater flame. And the difference between like a flashlight or electrical light is, you know, a fire, has warmth as well, and I would argue its it 's even more beautiful to look at and it can 't necessarily be contained in the sense of a flame doesn 't necessarily uh, burn and dance exactly the way you want it it's not as predictable so to speak right whereas the mind we want everything to be predictable and familiar and anything that goes against that it just makes us feel uncomfortable and sometimes that's what's blocking us from you know sinking down into the body or awakening that heart and realizing this is a central compass of of the divine pattern that sometimes we don't even use or or harness would you say that's a, a you know a good summary
1: yeah, no, that's a really beautiful very good summary, Mashallah. It's a very beautiful description and, and and definitely speaks to what I was saying, yeah.
0: So Dr. Maro, I'd like to circle back to some of the themes we discussed at the beginning of this conversation, this idea of knowing oneself and knowing one's personal truth and how to navigate that space because it can get confusing for some people you know some people today they think well this is my truth but the truth may not necessarily be aligned with an islamic principle or or otherwise and i'd love to hear more of your thoughts about this idea of how knowing oneself and knowing one's truth is such an important component of the spiritual religious path
1: well, what comes to mind when you say that is the saying, um, in our deen, man arafa, arafa rabbahu, whoever knows himself knows his Lord. Um, and, you know, knowledge of anything should point to the creator of that knowledge, right? Or the creator of what we're witnessing. And the way that I understood this was that, you know, when you, for example, when you, um, when you appreciate the sun or the moon or when you reflect on nature when you get to know how you know the creation right it always it should point you back to who made this right Um, when you appreciate the beauty of the sunset you you we say subhanallah because that knowledge that witnessing takes us back takes us to the one who has allowed this to happen you know and i think what differentiates islamic psychology and western thought and ideas especially when it comes to living authentically or being your true self is that the source is not us right and so it's great to go on this path of knowing your truth and knowing your knowing yourself, but you can't it can't you can't be the destination we are not the destination when it comes to understanding ourselves through an Islamic psychological perspective is that we are not designed to be the destination we are not the destination we are not the source we are not designed to be the source and and so knowledge of ourselves should should lead us to reflecting on who made us when you when you look at a piece of art you want to know who the artist is right so in recognizing that we are art and that we are beautiful and that we are a creation and that we are created honorable and and with love it should take us to the artist to the one who fashioned us and the you know the one who um you know the creator the one who has made us uniquely the way we are, you know? And so I think what happens on this path of knowing ourselves is we stop at ourselves and that can be very destructive. Um, Also, you know, to find truth, right? You know, we have to ask ourselves, do I want to arrive at like, do I want to arrive at truth that's through my own lens or through the lens of God, right? And so we can't do it alone, you know. Allah is al Haq, right? He is the source of all truth that exists and that we know of, right? And many of us go on this path of seeking truth without including al Haq, you know, like without connecting to al Haq. And, and that's, it's something that's, you know, to go on a spiritual path without the source of truth is like, is it, it, it's incomplete, you know. Um, because we have to there's always, you know, a little self-doubt is always healthy, you know, everything in balance is good, you know, too much self-doubt is destructive, right, Um, but too little self-doubt can also be destructive, because if you, if you don't even have, like, a grain of, or, like, space within yourself to, to, to give yourself room to think that possibly I could be wrong, that could be destructive too, right, because, so I think that on this path, we have to always we have to, we should, we should, you know, um, embark on it and we should be enthusiastic about it. We should be optimistic. We should be hopeful. But we should also depend on the one who will, who will guide and pave our way. And I think even when it comes to ourselves, like we forget this concept, right? We don't apply this concept when it comes to other things, like, for example, risk, right? we say, okay, I want a new job, I want this, okay, I'm going to ask God, right? It's very, it's much easier for us to do that, when it to ask God when it comes to these exterior things, right? But when it comes to internal things, we don't realize that Allah giving us, uh, you know, showing us truth is a form of risk. Allah, um, all our personality traits that we're trying to connect to, you know, when you connect to yourself and know more about yourself, we're connecting to things that Allah has provided us with, you know? And you know, and we forget to to ask Allah to open our path to understanding ourselves and to understanding our path the same way that we would do it when we'd ask for a new job and, you know, whatever we want, you know, in life. And so, um, you know, being connected to Al-Haqq while you're trying, while you're on the path of truth is so important. It just seems that it, it can't be any other way, you know.
0: Yeah. No, that's a very interesting point. Um and and for some people, it's also confusing to know what is truth. But I think as Muslims, you know, we have at least a a guide and a, a path, so to speak, right? Sirat al Mustaqim. And um, I mean, just the Fatiha itself, we could spend hours talking about that meaning. But um, one thing that came up for me as you were sharing is this idea of even in Fatiha, we say wa and the you know, ibada, worshiping God. Um, I mean, it has a very broad definition in Arabic and and it means to serve and to adore and to love and to obey, uh, to follow, etc. And and it also means to depend, right? If I worship somebody, um, I'm also depending on them to get stuff or to make me feel better. But then the second verse after, We still have, which is like, and and you're the only one I depend on. So it's like you're that source of truth and illumination that I really have to truly depend on. And I always found that very interesting. And, and from my teachers, this is one of the emphasis of the Fatiha that you know many people sometimes overlook. It's like, why would we say, you alone we worship? And then it's followed by, you alone we depend on. Because worship includes dependency mm-hmm. as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's very easy to forget to seek god's help when it comes to um when it comes to like um illuminations that we're trying to arrive at internally you know uh or when it comes to things that are going on with us on a mental and emotional or spiritual level it's it's very easy to take ownership of that because it's something internal and we think it's within us so we're deceived to think that the source of the answers are within us too you know um, and when it comes to things outside of us, it's very easy to identify, well, that's outside of me. I need someone outside of me to help me with it, you know. <laughs> but um, to recognize that everything that you have internally is also connected to God, it's also from God. You know, like we don't take the time to—when we when we show gratitude, many times people will, will show gratitude towards everything external, you know, like, um, which is great, but it's limited because, you know— God didn't just give us, you know, a roof over our heads. He didn't just give us, you know, um, shelter, or safety, or food. He, you know, everything that we possess internally is is, is also a, a form of provision from Him. It's it's a gift from Him. Like, are your unique personality trait? Thank God for that. You know, um, your approachableness. Thank God for that. Your your um, your heart. Thank God for that. Whatever goodness is in your heart, thank Him for that. You know. Thank him for all these internal beauties that you have within you. Um, the the fact that the cer- certain strengths you identified with him. This is what arafa rabbahu means to know yourselves to know God. When you recognize a strength within you, you thank the one who gave it to you. You know when you recognize um, a beauty within you, you thank the one who who blessed you with it. And we do this. We're so limited when it comes to our gratitude because, and you know, Allah tells us like, if you thank me, I will increase you. Right. Um. yeah. And so like, we don't take the time to thank God for our internal realities. We're so connected to what is external and that, beca- and that, you know, we're just busy thanking God for our, our external realities and we shouldn't stop that. But I'm saying that like, you know, we have to connect more to ourselves. Allah gave us like an inner world that's, that's, that's complex and beautiful. And it's, it's the way of navigating our life towards him you know and we're so disconnected from that and you know and this is we're missing out we're really deprived of a holistic experience of our lives you know because we're so disconnected and we don't really learn to connect to ourselves i don't think that's something that's taught to us um i think that's something that many of us are many of us are taught to connect to external things right you connect to what society expects of you you connect to what your culture expects of you to what the boxes that people have constructed expect of you but we're not we're not uh, encouraged or we're not taught to to connect to our truth to our souls to the fact that there's this inner reality within us that's unique and that god has fashioned uniquely and taking the time to mold you uniquely no two human beings are alike you know and it's and 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 to know that is to know your potential and to connect to that is to know how you're going to maximize your time here on this earth and and when you do that you know i believe that when people can connect to what's internal and to you know turn inward um i believe that's when people can work better together you know like a lot of people like who are you know who are like say the, the like threatened by other people or have insecurities i think that goes back to a place of not knowing your power and truth you know um and not knowing your not knowing what god has equipped you with because when you are busy with what god has blessed you with you don't have time to compare yourself to other people you're you're so gratitude makes you so Just you know, it makes you indulge in the things that he has already given you, you know, and you want to use them because the the you know the the highest form of gratitude is to use what God gave you, and the highest form of ingratitude is to dismiss what he gave you, and that means and that's an internal thing too, you know, like we think it's humbleness to you know to, to to play small and to not utilize our what God has given us. And that's something we all fall in love. And I I remember it was something, it was a challenge for me that I had to navigate as well, you know, like, um, but I, I realized, you know, playing smaller or, 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 or negating what Allah has given me is actually an ingratitude to the giver. You know, it's a form of ingratitude. Giver. It's like, it's like I, it's like me giving someone a gift and I watch them just shun it to the side. Would I feel like they, they're grateful? No. And so there's all these cultural things that we have to kind of, cultural um, obstacles that we have to tackle when it comes to the way that we view ourselves, when the way that we view humbleness, the way that we view connecting to ourselves, trusting ourselves. There's so many things to navigate that I think uh, a lot of external things have played a role in, um, in us having an unhealthy relationship with those things.
0: Absolutely. No, I thank you for sharing that. I mean, it reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Quran, فَذْكُرُونِ Allah tala says, "Remember me, and I'll remember you." And I just—I mean—I just get goosebumps just saying it and thinking about how Rabbil alamin can remember you just if you remember Him. It's such a precious, priceless gift and uh, acknowledgement of the divine relationship. And in the same verse, it says, "Washkuruni, la takfurun." So, re- and be grateful to me, um, and don't be from—don't be an ingrate or don't deny or cover up the blessings I've given you. So in in this verse, it's actually talking about what you're saying, that the gratitude is one of the ways that you connect and are present with the divine. And ingratitude is even synonymous with a, a state of kufr which means to cover up the truth and deny the favors of your lord uh and and so i i love how you explain this because it it is certainly a strong theme in the quran and you know attitude gratitude you know something that i always try to remind myself of it's an attitude we have to have uh it's like anything else it has to be consciously engaged with and practice because then that becomes your default setting or mode of functioning right you get up and you're like grateful first before complaining about all the stuff you don't have and want and many people live with these external checklists and if it doesn't go my way then i question god and why is god doing this to me and it's like subhanallah i mean wanting to control everything is a disease of the heart too and uh it's like the whole deen Muslim, it's all about hey surrendering and having security in the one that controls actually controls everything every atom in the universe every cell in your body and yet i'm still trying to But live life as if i can control everything and all my plans are going to go just the way i want it and then when we get a curveball from the universe all of a sudden it's like wait a minute I'm, i'm a good muslim why this shouldn't be happening to me you know i wasn't supposed to get divorced or i wasn't supposed to lose this family member or i was supposed to get this job and so on and so forth right but this again goes back to this idea of egoic attachments which i know we just scratched the surface on and that's why we're going to have to have you on again soon dr marwa (laughs)
1: Um, yeah I'd love to inshallah (laughs) I'd love to be back
0: Dr. Marwa it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today and I hope we can have more conversations like this over some more coffee in the future absolutely
1: I look forward to it thank you for having me it was great thank you
0: Karim Sirajuddin here thank you for tuning in Please visit nurhuman.com to learn more about how I provide personal spiritual and relationship counsel and growth. Don't forget to visit CoffeeWithKareem.com to see the latest news and updates about this podcast. Please generously help sponsor the show to keep on going at Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem. That's Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem.